Welcome to Morning Soap. At Fusion Church, our desire is that every believer would not just attend church, but also hear from God daily through His Word. As we read the Bible, we begin to see how God responds to things. Doing daily devotions repatterns the way we think, transforms the spirit of our mind, and helps us become more like Jesus. Join us here, Monday through Friday, as various pastors and leaders at Fusion Church share devotion and teaching through that day's soap scripture. Download the current soap reading plan at fusionchurch.cc soap. Good morning, everybody. Uh, good to see you folks today. And that we can join together, joke around a little bit. Uh, but seriously, get uh, into the Word of God. I think the Bible has a way as we read it to transform us, uh, not just getting data in our brains, but it, meeting the Lord in the Scriptures. So why don't we take a minute, let's stretch just a bit to uh, loosen up the body, and you can lift your hands and worship. You can do both, whatever you need to do to tune in. And uh, let's take a minute. And let's just pray that the Lord would speak to us through these words. Lord, we want to thank you for this day, for a brand new day, for the gift of this day. And we know, Lord, there's no better way to start it than with you and with brothers and sisters. Father, we just thank you for your word. Uh, you've given that to us to be able to be just food for our spirits. We thank you for food for our bodies, Lord, that gives them the strength, Lord, to, to get through the day. But we thank you for your word that gives us spiritual strength, spiritual inspiration, uh, spiritual power. So I pray, uh, Holy Spirit, that as we would read these words, as we talk about them, that you would breathe upon them, make them alive to us. I pray you would underline to each of us, the specific point or points that you want us to apply in our lives. So, Lord, we thank you ahead of time uh, for speaking and touching us. And it's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Okay. We are in John chapter 13, and I'm going to read 1 to 17. Now, before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, and that he should depart out of the world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And during supper, the devil, having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come forth from God, and was going back to God, rose from supper. And laid aside his garments, and taking a towel, he girded himself about. Then he poured water into the basin. He began to wash the disciples' feet, to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. And so he came to Simon Peter, and he said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered and said to Peter, what I do, you do not realize now, but you shall understand hereafter. Peter said to Jesus, never shall you wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, then you have no part with me. And Simon Peter said to Jesus, Lord, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to Peter, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is thoroughly clean. And you can, 
are clean, but not all of you. For he knew the one who was betraying him. And for this reason, he said, not all of you are clean. And so when he had washed their feet and taken his garments and reclined at the table again, he said to them, do you know what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord? You're right, for so I am. If I then, the Lord and the teacher, wash your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you should do as I did to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master. Neither is the one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. Amen. Okay. <clears throat> let's, let's jump in here. So as I'm looking at John 13, there's there's basically four points that really come across to me. One uh, is the love of Jesus for people. Two, the temptations that the devil throws at us. Three, the importance of service. And four, also the importance of obedience. So those are the four points we're going to look at. Uh, and let's just look right in the beginning here about the love of Jesus. If you look at 13.1, now before the feast of the Passover. Uh, so we know that Passover uh, is an Old Testament feast. The Jews were in Egypt and there they were being persecuted. God was going to deliver them out of Egypt. But before he did, he told them uh, basically to gather in their homes, to eat a meal together and take the blood and put it over their door stop at the, the top and on both sides. And it symbolized that they were God's people, ultimately symbolizing the blood of Jesus that was going to be shed for the sins of the world. But for the Jews, it was for them. And because of that, when the angel of death went over Egypt, he passed over the Jewish homes because of the blood, because of their heart out of this world to the Father, having, and here it is, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. So it's all about love. Uh, Jesus was love personified, literally. He is the loving God in human flesh. And as we see Jesus, as we listen to his words, as we see his actions, we're literally seeing the invisible father expressing his love for mankind. And as we see Jesus, we see a man that is filled with love. If we study the gospels, he was a loving, good shepherd, and he guided the sheep. He guided his disciples through the three years that he was with them. Not only did he guide them, but he taught them. He taught them how to pray to the Father in heaven. He taught them how to pray for the sick. I believe he taught them how to share their faith with others. But not only did he teach them about prayer, the Bible's clear that he prayed in love for the disciples. And one illustration was when Satan was coming to tempt Peter and to sift him like wheat. Jesus knew that 
And he said to Peter, Peter, I've prayed for you that when you go through this ordeal, Peter, you're going to come out stronger on the other side. In John 17, he prayed to disciples that they would be one as he was one with the Father. So he's basically praying that they would work as a team. They wouldn't be having battles about who is the best. He prayed that they would be in unity and that they would express literally his love to a world that so desperately needed to hear that message. Not only did Jesus love the 12 and pour out his love on them, but he loved other people. If we look at the Gospels, the woman at the well, married a number of times, living in with somebody, he loved her. We're told that he loved the prostitutes, that he went out and he loved the tax gatherers. Not only did he love them, I believe he loved the Jewish leaders. I mean, they bothered him. They pestered him left and right. But in love, I believe he gave them sharp rebukes because it was his way of taking them and shaking them. Say, wake up, wake up. I love you. Receive what I have to give. But they didn't want to receive that love. Jesus loved the sick. Look at the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and you'll see Jesus going about. And many times it says that Jesus was moved with compassion. Moved with compassion. He touched the sick. He gave sight to the blind. He allowed the deaf to be able to hear. The dumb, he gave them the ability to speak. The lame, he caused them to walk. He touched people with fevers, with leprosy, and made them whole. He cast out of demons in those that were tormented. Three times the Bible says that he raised people from the dead. But one of my favorite healings of Jesus, I think, that demonstrates his love. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane. The day before he's going to be crucified, he is going through literally hell. He's sweating blood. And in all that commotion, as he's being led away to be judged, Peter tries to defend him, cuts off the high priest's slave's ear. And in the midst of all the turmoil and the pain that Jesus is going through, he literally stops, picks the ear, and puts it back on the man's head. Jesus was a man that always thought of others and put others before himself. If we look at his words, if we look at his actions, if we look at his prayers, Jesus just he revealed over again the love of the Father. He did that for three years when he walked the earth. But it's interesting in 13.1, it says <clears throat> he loved those that were in the world. And it says he loved them to the end. And the end came. And they nailed Jesus to a cross. But even on the cross, he displays this magnificent love. He looks down at his mother, even through all the pain he's going through. And he says to her, woman, behold your son. And he says to John, the disciple, hey, take care of my mom. I'm concerned about her. He looks out at the people that are jeering him and mocking him and cursing him out. And he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. In the midst of intense pain, Jesus is aware and concerned about the criminals that are on either side being executed with him. And when the one criminal repents, he says to him, today you will be with me 
in paradise. If you want to see how much Jesus loves, take a long look at the cross. A man that's beaten, a man that's whipped, a man that has nails put through his hands and through his feet. There is the ultimate expression of Jesus' love. And friends, I believe when he was on the cross suffering for the world, I believe that Jesus was not only looking out at the crowd right before him, but I believe he knew each of us. I can't tell you how fully, but that he knew each of us that would be born into the world at some point. And when he said the words from the cross, he wasn't just speaking to those there. He was speaking to people of all ages. He was speaking to you and to me. Shouting from the cross, even when we don't understand all the painful things we go through. And why does God allow us to suffer? The ultimate rock for us is the cross where God literally shouts, I am for you. I'm not against you. And I love you enough to die for you. I think what's unfortunate many times for us as Christians, we have this in the head. And we can quote John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But we get lost in the generalities. God loves the world, but does he really love me uniquely? So do not be content just to have an intellectual understanding of the love of God. In Ephesians chapter 3, Paul says, we can know the length, the height, the depth, the width of the love of God. And it says actually that we can experience it. So that would be probably my greatest prayer for us this morning is, is that each of us would experience, not just in our brains and our heads and our logic, but we could feel the warmth of Jesus' love deep in our heart. And the person that can do that for us is the Holy Spirit. When we know the love of God, when it's really impacted our lives, we're going to be radically changed because I think to be loved is the greatest need of the human race. It's the greatest need I believe you have and I have. So that's number one. Jesus is the ultimate lover and that he loves you. Number two, uh, I think is we are going to be tempted. If you look at verse two, during the supper, the last supper, the devil having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of, G, of Simon, to betray him. <clears throat> Friends, we have an enemy. In John 10.10, 10, it says, referring to Satan, he says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. The thief comes only to steal, to kill, and destroy. That is his job description. He wants to knock us out. And we see here that he was trying to tempt Judas to betray Jesus, and he succeeded. But not only does Satan try to, to tempt Judas, he also tempted Jesus. If you remember right before the or after the, <clears throat> the baptism, Jesus is led into the wilderness, and Satan tempts him. So Nobody's exempt. Everybody on the screen, you can be sure, you can count on that Satan will try to trip you up. He'll try to get you off course. He'll try to steal the blessings that God has from you. 
Absolutely, he will. But the Bible is very clear. It says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 11, that Satan would not take advantage of us, it says, for we are not ignorant of his schemes. Paul says, know there's an enemy and, and be aware of his schemes. Know how he's trying to get you down and trip you up. I think we need to realize the primary attack of the evil one on us is by injecting thoughts in our minds. They could be lustful thoughts, jealous thoughts, envious thoughts, greed, anger, revenge. All these thoughts, we need to monitor them very carefully. Because if we don't monitor our thoughts, they're going to affect our emotions. And our, affected, our emotions are going to affect our actions. Very, very important that we watch these. In fact, uh, Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, we're taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Take every thought captive. In other words, I think it would be good to pray, Lord, I just pray that uh, you would align my mind to the word of God. So if there's anything that goes in my mind that's not of you, just ring a bell. Uh, somebody made a great illustration. I forget where I, I read it, but it you're going down a, a road and you get off the road in certain roads, there's this, this rumble strip. You can hear it. You're going up and you go, did, 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 did. you know, you're off the main track. Uh, so what I've been trying to pray in my own life recently is Lord, if I'm going on the road of life and a thought comes in, that's not of you, that's not aligned with the word. May, may that rumble strip go off like, did, 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 did. okay, John, Hey, that's not a good thought. You shouldn't have that thought of jealousy. You shouldn't have that thought of anger. Uh, the Bible says, take every thought captive. I think it also says uh, this in James 4, 7, resist the devil and he will flee from you. So not only are we to take the thought captive, the negative, but not, I don't want it. But I think it would be even more powerful to turn the negative into a positive. When Jesus was being tempted in the wilderness, Satan comes, beats him three times. Every time, how did Jesus win the battle? He said, it is written, and he quoted the scripture. So I think as we're being tempted with thoughts, not only take that negative thought and say, I'm getting rid of it, but resist it and say, Lord, this is it. I get rid of this. But it's written, and you can do the positive verse after that. Fear comes at you. I'm taking that thought captive. It's not of you. And then it is written, Lord, you basically said that we can believe in you and we do not have to fear. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. So just know, folks, you're in a battle. Jesus has already won the battle. Our job is to trust him and he'll get us through. Okay. <clears throat> Number one, Jesus loves us passionately. He loves us individually. He delights in us. Number two, we're in a battle. And number three, the importance of service. The importance of service. <clears throat> if you look at, I'm just going to read it here. Luke chapter 24. No, I'm sorry. Luke 22. Jesus is with the last supper with the disciples. 
He talks about his blood, his body being broken. Then he says, somebody's going to betray me. And it's interesting. I believe after that, this took place. Luke 22, 23. The disciples began to discuss among themselves which one of them it might be who's going to do this thing. And there arose also a dispute among the disciples as to which one of them was regarded to be the greatest. And listen to what Jesus said. The kings of the Gentiles lorded over them. Those who have authority over them are called benefactors, but not so with you. But let him who is the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leader as the servant. For who is greater, the one who reclines at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table, but I am among you as the one who serves? And I believe at that point, after he made that, that, that teaching, I'm among you as the one who serves, then I think that's where we go into John 13, verse 4. He gave the teaching. Now he's going to illustrate it. Verse 4. Jesus arose from supper. He laid aside his garments, taking a towel. He girded himself about. Then he poured water into the basin and he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. I'm not going to get into uh, the little discursion here with Peter. But if you follow that through on verse 12, after he washes the feet, this is what happens. And so when he had washed their feet and taken his garments and reclined at the table, again, he said to them, do you know what I've done to you? Do you call me teacher and Lord? You're right, for I am. If I then the Lord and the teacher wash your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. What a picture. When the Jews traveled back in those days, uh, they didn't have nice fancy shoes like we do that were closed and they walked with sandals. And as they walked over a period of time, the sand and the grit and all that would be accumulated around their feet. So their feet would have been really grimy. They would have been dirty. And the, the, um, the important thing is when they would come inside a house, that they would have water. And they would get their feet washed, in a sense, to clean off the grime, uh, kind of, you might say, to be refreshed. And it was the responsibility of the servant to do that for the people they came in. So when they were getting ready in the upper room for the Last Supper, one of the disciples should have said, okay, hey, guess what? Somebody has to wash the feet. I'll do it. I volunteer. Not one of the 11 or the 12, because Jesus would have been present at that point in the beginning. Not one of them humbled themselves. They wouldn't. Not one. And I could see like them looking around. Okay, who's going to do this? None of them do it. And Jesus says, okay, if none of you folks are going to humble yourself, okay, guess what? then I'm going to wash your feet. And then that blew Peter away because Peter said, hey, no way, no way. You're, you're the Lord. You're the master. I'm, I'm the servant. No way you're going to wash my feet. And Jesus says, no, nobody's done it before. Okay, I'm going to do that. So he's setting this amazing example uh, of service. So what I think is so important is what we see here in verse 15. 
For I gave you an example that you should do as I did to you. There's no, I think, better way to learn than by example. I mean, you can teach, 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 and get concepts in the brain. Jesus knew that. But Jesus also knew how to get people's attention. He talked in parables. He told stories. We learn from stories. But not only do we learn from stories and testimonies, we learn when we actually see somebody live out before us the lesson we're supposed to learn. And Jesus said, I give you an example. I've illustrated to you. I've taught on you. You've got to be a servant. The greatest person is not the person that just sits back. The greatest person is the worst person that gives and serves. And he said, I've given you an example as an inspiration. And I think of people that are uh, just tremendous examples. Kathy and I were kind of getting ready for bed, and she flipped on TBN. And Johnny Erickson was there giving her testimony. If any of you know her story, uh, she's a gal, jumped off a diving board, broke her neck, has been a quadriplegic now, I, I guess, what, 50 years or more. Uh, and not only is she a quadriplegic, but she has intense pain in her body simultaneously, has also battled cancer at times. And I, I just loved her testimony. It touched me. Because she's, she was so honest and said, do I want to be a paraplegic? No. When I get up, everything inside of me wants to be able to move, but I can't move. It's not easy. It's hard. But she says, I lean into Jesus. She says, I have to read the word of God. I have to sing to get on top of my problem. And she says, it starts the day slow, but as I pray it's my way through, I begin to experience, she said, a joy. And it's a genuine joy, even in the midst of my pain and even in the midst of my suffering. That, that inspired me. This lady has gone through unbelievable suffering and she's triumphant. Wow. When I look at the example of Koi Ten Boom, Seeing all these Jews annihilated in the concentration camps in Germany, seeing her own sister killed with her own eyes, and seeing all that suffering and pain, and to see her, by the grace of God, being willing to forgive the guard that killed her sister and forgive others. What an inspiration to me. When I look at Mother Teresa, and I see the tremendous love that this lady has just pours out the love on, 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 on a very, uh, who would want to be there with people that are dying all the time with a lot, a lot of ability to even take care of them with supplies. And yet she pours out her life in service. Jesus gives examples to us. These other two. And, Folks, that is a call for you and I. We are to be an example. Jesus is not walking in a human body today. We are his body. Okay? If they're going to meet Jesus, the world needs to see Jesus. They're going to see Jesus in us, his church, in you and in me. And ideally, we should be an example. Paul even says in his word, he says, follow me as I follow Christ. 
Are we living in such a way that we could say to people, live the way I live? Are we an example of the love and compassion of Jesus? It's a question I think we all need to be able to ask and even grow in. Okay, so Jesus loves you passionately. But there's somebody that doesn't love you passionately, and that's the devil, and he passionately wants to knock you out. But we've been given the victory in Christ, and we've been shown how does real love, how does it operate? It operates by service, by giving. Jesus said, I'm among you as one who serves. And the last thing is this, the importance of obedience. Jesus washes their feet. He gives them an example of what it's all about. And then get verse 17. If you know these things, you're blessed if you do them. Let me say it again. If you know these things, if you know what I've said, disciples, and he's, down, he's not just saying to the, the 11 disciples that are now at the table, He's saying that to you and I today, right here in 2023. If you know the things that I've shared, if you know these things, blessed you are if you do them. James 1, 23 says this. Prove yourselves doers of the word. And not merely hearers who delude themselves. Prove yourself doers. Underline the word doers of the word. Not merely hearers who delude themselves. Friends, I can't tell you how important it is to do the word. It's not enough just to hear it. So when we do these soaps in the morning. It's not enough to say, well, that was nice. Okay, check. We did John 13, 1 to 17. Let me move on with my day. So what what are the application points here? If we're a doer today, then we're going to try to, by the grace of God, be a loving, serving person. If we're a doer, if we're a doer, we're going to begin to be attentive that Satan's trying to knock us out. And we're going to make sure we're going to watch what's going in our minds. And not enough in the subs just to hear them. We need to apply them. Same holds true with our connect groups. We go to the connect groups and we can get more data and more data and more data and more knowledge and more books and more and more and more and more. But are we applying what we learn in the connect groups? What about Sunday morning when we hear a sermon? I know Pastor Brennan has heard these words. I've heard them at times as a pastor. People leave, they shake your hand and say, oh, that's a great sermon. Thank you. The the million dollar question is when you leave the sanctuary, are you going to put into action what you've heard? Okay. Not bad. Maybe to take a pen and paper with you when we do the messages and write the key points and then I love many times, I believe most of the time as we end the sermon, uh, there's a point like, okay, what's the spirit telling you to do? So I can't tell you, so important. Uh, Pastor Brennan 
and others do a, an amazing job giving a message that can change our lives, but it's not enough to say, good message, leave, and then I'm going to forget it. What am I going to apply when I hear that message? How do I put it into action? We heard last week, uh, Pastor Tim Lucas, fresh oil, fresh oil, fresh oil, fresh oil. We need the Holy Spirit to move in our lives in a brand new way. So do we just say, well, that's nice. Fresh oil, I get some oil in my head, I go home and forget it. Or are we going to say, Lord, fresh oil, Holy Spirit, I need to let you loose in my life in a brand new way. Holy Spirit, have an absolute freedom to do whatever you want with me. Anoint me afresh. I think you get the point I'm making. It's not enough to hear the word. In fact, the Bible is very clear in James. It says, if we only hear and not do it, it says we delude ourselves. In other words, we're duped because it'll do us no good just to hear it if we don't do it. So that's the last challenge. I pray that as we leave today, this soap, and as we go through any of the soaps, as we go to the connect groups, as we go Sunday to hear the message, that our, as we leave, it's always, okay, what's the application point? I didn't just get some data to just leave it rest up here. What do I need to do with the word of God once I've heard it? How do I put it into action? So I think it's a rich chapter. I just pray uh, that each of you know that you are extremely special to the Lord. And if he had to die, he would have died just for each of us individually, if that was the case. No, you're in a battle. Get to know the word of God. So like Jesus, you could say, it's written, Satan, get out of here. This is what the word says. May we be good illustrations of the Lord. May we be good examples that when people see us, they see Jesus in action. And let's put the word of God into practical application after we hear it. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for John 13. Lord, we just thank you for just very practical points, Jesus, that you brought up in the, this chunk of scripture. Words that we can meditate upon. But Lord, not just words we can think about and pray over, but words that we can actually put into action. So, Lord, I just pray for my brothers and sisters. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would just drive home the fact that, that we are loved, passionately loved, that you delight in us. Not only do you delight in us and love us, you actually like us, Lord. Help us to be able to receive that, Lord, experientially, deep in our hearts and our spirits, Lord. And, Lord, we're in a battle, and I just pray for uh, brothers and sisters right today that are in a battle. They know it, and they feel it, Lord, that... You would give them the victory, Lord. And Lord, let us be good examples and illustrations of your love. Help us to take your love. Help us to take your gospel out into the world and to share it with those that need it. So, Lord, we thank you for this soap. Thank you for speaking to us. And thank you for guiding and leading each one on this screen. And it's in your holy and strong name we pray, Lord. Amen. Amen. May you folks have a great day. God bless you all.